carried to the table. Welcome to the uh, second week in a series we're calling Dinner with a Perfect Stranger. The perfect stranger is Jesus. And we find in the Bible that Jesus was fond of inviting people to share a meal with him. And guess what? He's still doing it today. And so last week, we uh, encouraged each other to schedule a meal, a one-on-one meal with Jesus sometime over the last week. So did you take Jesus up on the invitation and uh, how did it go? Uh, Maybe you didn't take Jesus up on the invitation. If not, uh, why not? I mean, maybe you just forgot. And if so, that's okay. But what about this week? Will you schedule a meal sometime this week with Jesus? But maybe you didn't forget. Maybe you declined the invitation to share a meal with Jesus. And maybe the reason is because you're ashamed. You're ashamed to sit down one-on-one with Jesus. Maybe you feel like the invitation applies to other people, but Jesus doesn't want to meet with you. Natalie Kerr is a a tender here at Black Rock, and uh, she's struggled with the feelings of shame that have separated her from a relationship with Jesus. And here's her story. I came here 15 years ago from Jamaica and um, it was quite an experience. Um, Little things that maybe you guys would take for granted, getting on an escalator was huge for me. Nervous to go places because I just didn't know what to do, especially for somebody like me who came from the country. It's like a really remote part of Jamaica. We had a very, very humble lifestyle. There are times we didn't have shoes to wear to school, we would miss school because we had no shoes to wear. Somebody had came from the United States and brought me a pair of shoes, but they were yellow. And I got some shoe dye that my granduncle had, and I dyed my shoe black. I went to school with my new painted, <laughs> dyed black shoes. I was coming from school and it, was, it started to rain. And I'm walking with my friends and I heard somebody say, Natalie, what's going on with your shoe? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I looked down and my shoe started turning back to yellow. <laughs> I remember when I was really little, when I did recall living with my father, he would find a way to distract us from not having food. He would make up jokes or stories about stuff. And I remember you'd have not much on your plate, but because he would tell us these stories, you'd be so distracted, you wouldn't even think about the hunger. It was very tough. It was, it was a very tough life. I was introduced to the Lord um, from I was a young child. I didn't have books to read, I loved to read, and I really didn't have books, so I started reading the Bible. I remember there was a tree in our yard, it's called a breadfruit tree, and my favorite thing was going into that tree and just reading the Bible. I remember having that very, very close relationship with Christ where I put all my faith in Him and I knew He was never gonna let me down. I um, was working right out of high school because I pretty much knew I had no chance of going to college because of my family situation. I immediately started looking for jobs and I ended up with a job working in the tourism industry. I became a tour guide slash captain at a safari boat tour. It was a a 90-minute tour on this what's called the Jamaica's longest river, the Black River. It was a great experience. I met lots of people from all over the world. A few years later, I started thinking, I wonder if there is something 
outside of what I was doing. I think that was one of the first times I really started asking God what's his plan was for me. I remember lying there praying, thinking I would love to travel, love to come to the States. And even though it would seem almost impossible for me to get a visa, somehow I just had this feeling that I would. Sure enough, I went to the US Embassy and I got my visa. It was just great to finally be in this country and finally see some of the things that I've always heard people tell me about. First thing I did was I was like, I have to go back to college. I've, that was always my dream. I've always wanted to be in the legal field and so I became a paralegal. I applied for a job at Stanford Superior Court and I got the job. Here it is. I was a few years back thinking about what it was like to come to this country and here I am. I landed a job working for the state of Connecticut. This is the same girl who was years ago have raw chicken, feeding crocodiles, driving a boat, and, and I was like, it's only God that could do something like that. All these years I've been here, I have not found a church. I think part of the reasons why I, I stayed away from the church for so long was I felt embarrassed that God was doing so much for me and yet this is pretty much how I showed my appreciation. I stepped away from Him. I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed and it wasn't until about a year ago that I started having this this hunger to get back to that relationship. I went on this quest for to find a church. A co-worker of mine heard me talking about wanting to find a church and she said, you need to come to Black Rock. And I went that Sunday and I was just in love with the with the message, the people, everybody was so welcoming. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is the church. I felt it in my heart. I remember I signed up for this class called uh, Starting Point. And I tell you, that was perhaps the best decision I ever made in my life to this date, because I was given an opportunity to develop for the first time a close bond with God where now it's, it's it cannot be broken. I know I'll never be back to the place where God wasn't in the forefront. I know this is it. I mean, I want to get baptized. Everything that I need to be doing as a Christ follower, this is where I am now in my faith. I can appreciate the blessings that God has given me. Makes me now want to just live for Christ. Makes me now want to help others, want to serve others. And this is one of the reasons why I love this church. That's what it's all about. Loving God, loving others, and serving our community. And this for me is where I need to be. Yeah. So Natalie says that uh, when she was in Jamaica as a child, she has a close relationship with God. But then she comes here to the U.S. and God wildly blesses her. But instead of that drawing her in gratitude to God, she drifted a farther and farther away from God, such to the point where she was ashamed to come back to him. You know, like the rain exposed her yellow shoes, the showers of blessing exposed the shame of her lack of love and gratitude for God. And maybe you are like Natalie. Like Natalie, some of us are ashamed because uh, the good things we haven't done or we haven't done enough. On the other hand, some of us are ashamed because of what we have done. We've failed, and this guilt and shame keeps us from Jesus. So if shame makes you shrink back from meeting with Jesus with a 
having a meal with Jesus. Guess what? You're in good company. One of Jesus' best friends struggled with this very same thing. So let's study another meal with Jesus and see how Jesus overcomes my shame to draw me into a relationship meal with him. Please turn your Bible or your device to the Gospel of John chapter 21. And there's one thing you need to know about what I'm going to read for you. You need to know that this story takes place about a week after Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning. After appearing to his disciples in Jerusalem, this is Jesus' next appearance about a week's walk away from Jerusalem in Peter's hometown. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the lake of Galilee. It happened this way. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then John said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning uh, with coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not broken or torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Then they they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the story of the best breakfast ever. Because when Jesus makes you breakfast, it's perfect. Uh, But let's go back to the start of the story. Uh, This breakfast account takes place a week after the disciples had already seen Jesus alive on Easter. Now the disciples are back in their hometown, and Peter says, I'm going to fish. And I picture Peter saying this with a defeat in his voice, Because he's not excited. He's not saying, let's go fish. He's saying, I'm going back where Jesus found me three years ago. I wanted to serve God, but I failed. And I'm disqualified from doing anything for God. I'm just a fisherman, nothing more. And you can probably guess why Peter is so discouraged. Three days before Easter, Jesus was arrested. And while he was being tried and beaten by the religious leaders, Peter was recognized as a follower of Jesus. Three times Peter was recognized, and three times uh, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And the Bible records that Jesus was present at Peter's third denial, and that their eyes met as as, uh, Peter was denying Jesus. But uh, in, in those eyes, Peter saw that his betrayals hurt Jesus more than the fists and the whips that his friend was enduring that night. 
And uh, Peter realized the depth of his failure, and he wept like a baby when Jesus was crucified. Peter hid like a frightened boy. But then three days later, the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive. And although I'm sure Easter was glorious for Peter, like the other disciples, seeing Jesus alive did nothing for Peter's feelings of guilt and shame before his friend Jesus. Peter had forsaken God in the flesh, and now Peter considered himself a God-forsaken man. That's why Peter went back to his fishing nets. But what happens next is really beautiful. While Peter hung his head in defeat, Jesus found this amazing way to draw his friend Peter back to himself. And the Bible preserves this record of how Jesus restored Peter in order to teach me how Jesus draws me to himself and away from my guilt. And here's the first thing I notice. Jesus reminds me that the same grace that begins our relationship preserves it. Whenever I separate myself from Jesus because of my feelings of shame and guilt, Jesus brings me back to his grace where the relationship with him begins. If I have a friendship with Jesus, did I do anything to earn this relationship? No. Jesus reached out to me when I was far from him. Jesus loved me when I was unlovable. And my relationship with Jesus is preserved by the same thing that begins the relationship. His grace Nothing more. And so to draw me to him and away from my guilt, Jesus brings me back to the beginnings of my experience of his grace. This is exactly what Jesus did with Peter. After catching nothing all night, in the dim morning light, a perfect stranger calls out to Peter from the shore. The perfect stranger says, why don't you try throwing the net on the right side of the boat? First of all, this is a joke. Uh, the secret to net fishing is not the five feet between the right side and the left side of the boat. But not only is this a joke, it is a private joke. It became a private joke between Jesus and Peter three years earlier. At the end of a fruitless day of fishing, a perfect stranger called out to Peter and asked him to try throwing the net on the other side of the boat. Peter liked the joke, and so he tried it. But to his surprise, Peter brought up the net, and it was packed with fish. And Peter immediately understood that this perfect stranger with someone special. And when Jesus said, Peter, follow me, Peter did. Now, three years later, Peter feels like a complete failure. But in his defeat, he hears this familiar voice repeating the words of a private joke. And when Peter hauls up that net of fish, he jumps into the water to swim to his friend Jesus. And Peter swims like mad because he understands this is more than just a miracle catch. Peter realizes that Jesus is bringing him back to the beginning, back 
to grace, back to that first day when Jesus chose to love Peter, when Peter did nothing to deserve that love. And when Peter got to shore, the first thing Jesus did was to invite him to have a meal. Let's have breakfast. And now Jesus calls you back to the beginning. Jesus invites you to have a meal with him. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you have not done. Jesus brings you back to his grace where it all began. Right now, Jesus brings you back to your first realization that you can't earn his love. Let the memory of the grace of Jesus draw you back to the arms of Jesus, eternal arms that reach through the fog of your guilt and shame. Of course, if you've never received God's forgiveness before, let this moment be that first moment when you realize how much God loves you completely and forgives you completely through Christ. A relationship with Jesus never begins with promises of good behavior. A relationship with Jesus always begins with your experience of his grace. And the grace that begins your relationship with Jesus is the same grace that preserves it through your ups and downs. But there's more to the story. The beach breakfast continues in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. This mealtime discussion where Jesus draws Peter back to himself is preserved here in Scripture so I can learn how Jesus draws me to himself and away from guilt. And the next thing I see in what Jesus does to Peter is that Jesus reminds me that my relationship with him is more important than anything I do or don't do for him. To draw Peter back to himself, Jesus asked Peter a question. And it's crucial to notice that Jesus' question of Peter is not a performance question. It is a personal question. Do you love me? Jesus did not ask a performance question like, Peter, uh, do you promise to never deny me again? Or Peter, do you feel sorry for what you did? Or Peter, Will you promise to do better from now on? No, Jesus doesn't ask a performance question. He asks a personal question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus keeps bringing Peter back to their friendship. 
Jesus keeps reminding Peter that their relationship was the most important thing to him and that this relationship did not depend on what Peter did or didn't do in the past, but it depends on Peter's love for Jesus in the present. So what keeps you from Jesus? You struggle with inner anger. It makes you lash out with uh, temper at other people. And so you say, Jesus, I keep failing with this temper that makes me a lousy spouse and parent. And Jesus says, yeah, but the most important thing is, do you love me? Yeah, you uh, struggle with lust or pornography or impure thoughts and habits. And you say, Jesus, I keep failing in this area over and over again. And Jesus says, yeah, I know, but do you love me? You say, Jesus, I'm selfish. I'm a whiner. And my prayer life stinks. And Jesus says, yeah, I know, but do you love me? Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Why three times? Well, it's probably because Jesus knew that in Peter's mind were fresh three denials. You know, if I have shame over 23 denials against uh, Jesus, to me, Jesus will say, do you love me 23 times? That's because over and over, Jesus keeps coming back to the relationship. Now, of course, Jesus cares about my sin struggles, but he cares more about my relationship with him. He cares more about me. And because he knows that the more I am in a friendship with him, the more I'll have power to overcome my sin struggles. Whenever I hold back out of guilt, Jesus reminds me that my relationship was, is more important than anything I can do for him, which connects, I think, to the fact that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Well, it isn't explained, but I agree with the grammatical scholars who say that by these, Jesus is referring to that miracle catch of fish, all 153 of them. If this is right, then the fish represent Peter's performance. The fish represents what Peter can do or what Peter can't do without Jesus. And the question is whether Peter loves Jesus or whether he loves what he does in Jesus. You know, 153 fish is a fishing success. And that Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Which proves that to Jesus, success can keep me from a close relationship with him just as much as failure. Whenever I focus on my performance for Jesus instead of my relationship with Jesus, I am in a spiritual danger zone. God views success and failure differently than I do. My worst failures, like Peter, become spiritual success stories if they make me more dependent on God. And my biggest successes become spiritual failures if they cause me to drift 
from a close relationship with God, which leads to the final lesson and how Jesus draws me to himself and away from guilt. As I study what Jesus does for Peter, Jesus reminds me that my relationship with him leads me to big things beyond my little preoccupations. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And when Peter says yes, Jesus responds by saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Isn't this interesting? Peter thought that he was disqualified by his failure from serving Jesus. And so he stays wrapped up in his little pity party. But Peter had it all wrong. Jesus didn't see Peter's failure as disqualifying at all. Jesus had great, big plans for Peter. And the only thing keeping Peter from it was his own guilty self-preoccupation. And just like Peter, my failures don't keep me from God's my part in God's big plan. It is my self-imposed separation from Jesus that keeps me from God's big plan. Jesus invited Peter to breakfast and that meal changed Peter. And then Peter changed the world. Peter did feed the sheep. And through his letters in scripture and through the biblical accounts of his successes and failures, Peter is still feeding the sheep. Peter is feeding us today. But imagine what Peter would have missed if he allowed his feelings of guilt and shame separate him from Jesus. Just imagine the big, beautiful things that you will sacrifice if you don't overcome that little self-preoccupation of guilt and shame. So would you listen to Jesus as he calls you to this table? Would you listen to Jesus tell you it's not too late, it's never too late to come away with me? Would you please stand?